where we all get ourselves settled. And uh, we've been, we're talking about the rise and leadership of Samuel, and that's the first seven chapters. If you divide first Samuel up, you have the rise and leadership of Samuel, then the rise and leadership of Saul, then the rise and leadership of, of David. So we are looking now at Samuel. <clears throat> Actually, I think the rising leadership of David would be second Samuel, now that I think of it. But anyway, um, so we're, we're, we're now in, in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now, so far we've looked at the birth of Samuel, that's chapter 1, at the, the first 20 verses. Then we looked at the dedication of Samuel, that's the end of the chapter 1. Then the chapter 2 is about the joy of Samuel. And then the second part of chapter 2 is a need for Samuel. So last week we saw that Eli's sons were not just unbelievers, they were wicked. And they caused the men of Israel to hate the offerings to the Lord. In complete contrast, Samuel was a complete breath of fresh air in a corrupt generation. Yet, despite Eli's worthless sons and his worthless efforts to influence them, Eli was still God's anointed, and God still honored his prophecies. That said, Eli's sons blatantly, unashamedly, broke most of the commands of God. The wrong men were in the wrong positions, and God did not miss a thing. The Lord proclaimed judgment against Eli's house and would replace Eli with a faithful priest. That was last week. Now let's take a look at this faithful priest called Samuel. Let's look at verse 1. I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 4. Then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Well, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision, and it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim, that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. This is one of our, I, I, as a child, this is one of your, like, your favorite passages of scripture. So we're going to delve into that this morning. Father, do pray you bless our time in your word. Thank you for those you brought out. What a blessing. Lord, I pray you'd encourage your people. I pray you'd strengthen your people. I pray you'd build them up in the most holy faith. Lord God, I give us a great Sunday. Give us a blessed Sunday. I pray for those who are sick. I pray for the local court. Lord, that he'll make a full recovery from the surgery. Lord, there'll be no complications. Lord, you bless him. I pray, God, you'd be with uh, the family of Michael Shore, who passed, well, he passed away last month, Lord God. I pray also you'd be with Patrick, as Patrick is homesick, Lord. Please put your healing hands upon him. Lord, and anyone else who may be sick that we may not know of, be, be with them, Lord. But Lord, give us a great Sunday. Give us an encouraging Sunday. May we leave here more determined than ever to give our lives and our hearts to Jesus Christ, knowing it's the best thing in the world. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, so we're in verse 1, and uh, we just read the first four verses. So verse 1, the word of the Lord was precious. When you think of something that's precious, you think of a precious ointment. It's costly. It's rare. And the Bible says in verse 1, there was no open vision. God was not working through Eli and his sons. Now, Eli was still the high priest, so to speak. Eli still could prophesy. But God was not working through him. Though Eli was, was anointed, he was not approved. He had failed his office and the qualifications to be God's man. And you know, a man can, can fail his qualifications. A man can become disqualified if Eli was that man. Though the Lord prophesied occasionally through him, as we saw with, with Hannah, he had gained nothing to the people uh, through him. God would not bless his ministry. He awaited another man who would listen. Again, uh, some of these things are really just for me. So you can listen in as I preach it myself. And I'll say this. 
When a preacher disqualifies himself from the blessing of God, the Lord may use him to win souls privately, but his ministry will dry up. And you know, that is no good. It's no good to have a, I think that, that the worst thing you could do to me is destroy my family. But the second worst thing you could do to me is destroy my ministry. And uh, the worst thing I could do to myself is destroy my family and, and then destroy my ministry. Because they, re they really, they go hand in hand, don't they? The Bible says, if a man not know not how to rule his house, how can he rule the house of God? Isn't that right? And folks, you know what? We all struggle to rule our houses right, don't we? And I, and I struggle at times to rule the house of God right. I, I get that. But you know what? For all our faults and failures, we should never disqualify ourselves. Eli disqualified himself. And his ministry dried up. And I, and I can't imagine. He was just going through the motions. And some people will, will go through the motions. It's, it's like Samuel. Or not Samuel. Samson. Do you remember? He got up after Delilah had betrayed him. And, and cut had, had his hair. And cut his hair. And I don't think she cut his hair. Somebody else cut his hair. But anyway. Uh, when he got up. He wished not that the spirit of God had left him. He didn't even know God was gone. And some people can go through the motions of ministry. Not even knowing that God is gone. I don't know about you, but now and again, I, I like to watch films about the rapture. Hands up who likes to watch films about the rapture? I'm the only person in this room. Okay, there's two of us. Okay, praise the Lord. There's two of us who like films about the rapture. But you know, the thing is that, it, the thing that's always interesting in these films is they, they usually present someone who's still preaching after the rapture, as if the rapture had never happened, and they missed the whole boat. How can you be a preacher and miss the rapture? Because you're not saved. You can just go through the motions, and some people were go were just go through the motions. That was that was Eli just going through the motions. Small victories are not enough to sustain a ministry. He had small victories. He had he was able to prophesy, and Samuel was be able to, was was born, and, and that was a small victory, so to speak. But that doesn't sustain a ministry. Okay, the blessing of God is mandatory. And I'm speaking at myself, at myself, and I yearn for the blessing of God. I pray regularly for the blessing of God upon Gospel Baptist Church. But um, we're all ministers of our own family, so to speak, right? Should we be praying and asking the blessing of God upon our family, yearning with God, agonizing with God? Can I put it this way? We should wrestle with God the way Jacob wrestled with God for our families. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I wrestle with God for this ministry here. And I have to be careful sometimes because it can come out my preaching. And I, I don't want anyone to come out my preaching because sometimes I, I can agonize so much it can come across heavy. And I don't want it to come across heavy. And we don't want to come across heavy with our families. But we should ache and agonize for our families. We should ache and agonize for God's work. Would you agree with that? This was Eli. It was, it was, this is what Eli was not doing. It's the opposite of Eli. Samuel would be a breath of fresh air. He'd be the opposite. Furthermore... Eli must have viewed Samuel as a victorious answer to prayer. Praise God, I've prophesied that Samuel was born. But was also, do you know what's interesting, King? Samuel wasn't just an answer to prayer for Eli. Samuel was judgment against Eli. Because Samuel was going to replace Eli. And, and totally take away his, his whole, his, his whole uh, prophetic ministry and his, his lineage and, and everything. He was no longer going to be a priest. He was, be, he was being removed from the, from the priesthood. So, question. God had turned away from Eli. Do you think, and I don't know if there's a, a right or wrong answer to this. I just want to know, know what you have to say. Do you think Eli knew that God had turned against his ministry? What do you think? Some people are saying no. And, and, you, and you could be right. I just want to hear it. So here's, do you think Samuel knew, or Eli knew, that God turned against his ministry? Yeah. 
Okay. Some say yes, some say no. And probably both could be right in one sense. You know, anybody else? Do you think Eli knew God had turned against his ministry? I'm not sure he knew, but I think he had a felt that it was going to show He must have had something. Yes, yes, yes. He had, and we're going we're gonna to follow this through. So, so hold on to your thoughts, okay? I would say Eli was physically blind. It says here, verse 2, it came to pass at the time when Eli was laid down in his place, his eyes began to wax dim. So he was losing his sight, right? But he wasn't just physically blind, he was what? Spiritually, spiritually blind. So his physical blindness was analogous of his spiritual blindness. The blinded, what blinded him the most was his refusal to listen to God. When you follow through, he didn't want to listen to God. And the blindness that Eli had compounded the blindness of the nation of Israel. And this is why it's so important that ministers walk with God. It's so important that preachers walk with God, pastors walk with God, because it has a knock-on effect on the whole nation of Israel, okay? It had a, a knock-on effect. It says here, verse 3, in air, or ever, the lamp of God went out in, in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. The, 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 ark, the lamp went out. Now, I'm going to pass out some scriptures here. Exodus chapter 27, verse 20. Exodus 27, 20, raise your hand. Okay, uh, Prince, Mary, Leviticus 24, 22. Leviticus 24, 22. Numbers 4, verse 16. Numbers 4, 16. Okay, can you read that first, please, Eileen? Okay, so I want to hear Exodus chapter 27, verse 20. Actually, I'm going to pass out another scripture. Romans 10, verse 14. Uh, verse, Romans, I've done this again. But Romans 10, 14, something. Okay, let's say Romans 10, verse 14 is probably the right verse. Romans 10, 14 and 15. D, can you read Romans? I'll give you a one minute, Johnny. Romans 10, D, verse 14 and 15. I think they are the right verses. I have a, an error in my notes. I only just saw. Okay, so the blindness compounded the spiritual blindness of the nation. And again, Eli didn't see it. He didn't see his whole nation was blinded. Okay, the menorah went out. Brethren, I want to tell you this morning, when preachers get distracted, the light in the house of God goes out. Do you understand what I'm saying? The house of God needs to be a lighthouse in the community. Now, how do you know the house of God is, is a lighthouse in the, in the community? How do you know? What makes the house of God a lighthouse in the community? People know the name. People know the name? What else? I mean, that's obvious, but it's, it has to be said, right? People don't name anybody else. How do you know the light of, how, how is it, can the house of God be a light in the community? Somebody else. Now our testimony as a Christian, yeah. we have a strong testimony in the community. Absolutely, somebody else, good. It's open to all. What was that? It's open to all. Open to all, okay. <coughs> open to all, they feel that they can come in. Yeah, okay, okay, somebody else. They acknowledge we can be different in our they acknowledge that we're different. We can be different. We can be different. Okay. Okay. Somebody else. How how can we how is, is that house of God a light of God in the community? What is that? Christ dwells. He does. He does. And people should know God is down here. Shouldn't they? Okay. Okay, let's take a look at this now. Let's let's see. We're gonna look at the menorah, okay, the, the candlestick in the house of God. Exodus 27, verse 20. And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure 
oil, olive, grease, and for the lamp, to cause the lamp to burn always. Okay, to, to cause the lamp to burn, what you say? Always. Do you hear that? Always. Okay. Leviticus 24, 22. You shall have one manner of law, as well as from the stranger, as from within your own country, for I am the Lord your God. That's the wrong verse. Is that Leviticus 24, 22? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I was wondering. I, 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 I am so I, I, sorry, I, I, guys. I said, what did he say? Because I was reading this, and I said, what did he say? Okay, well, it's to talk about that. I, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't know what was wrong with me when I was doing these notes. Num numbers 4, verse 16. And to the office of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest pertaineth the oil for the light, and the sweet incense, and the daily meat offering, and the anointing oil, and the oversight of all the tabernacle, and of all that therein is in the sanctuary, and in the vessels thereof. Okay, so what we see in that verse is that Aaron and his sons, it was their responsibility to make sure the oil was there, okay? So Eli and his sons had just totally dropped the ball. And uh, the, the verse that was meant to be numbers, uh, uh, Leviticus 24, 22, wherever I... I, I is it four, four talks about the ruler and sin? No, no, I, I, so I, I apologize for that. I, I have no idea. Uh, I, I put a wrong digit there. But basically that verse is meant to talk about that candles be lit day and night. Okay, so it might be verse 2 or something like that. Is 24 verse 2-ish? I don't know. But anyway, uh, they dropped the ball. What were they doing instead of doing what they're supposed to be doing? What were they doing? Yeah, they were doing the wrong thing. What? What were they doing? Stealing. Stealing? <laughs> Carousing? Everything else what they were supposed to be doing. You know, what should the church, what should this church, what should Gospel Baptist Church be known for in this community? Spreading the gospel. Spreading the gospel, right? The name, it's in the name, right? We should be known as a gospel center. When people come down here, they should know, that I'm going to hear the gospel when I come down there. Because that's the light of God shining through the darkness. Would you agree with that? Amen. So if we stop preaching the gospel, and we stop preaching Christ, our candle will go out. And there's a lot of people, or groups, should I say, that call themselves churches, and they're not preaching the gospel, they're doing other stuff. It is verse 2, Pastor. It is verse 2. Read verse 2 for me, please. Command the children of Israel that they bring unto the pure olive oil leaf for the light to cause the lamps to burn continually. Continually. Okay, thank you. Continually. Okay. So, so they were neglecting it. They weren't doing their bare, their, their basic responsibilities, they completely neglected. If the house of God was completely boarded up, they wouldn't care. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what the sons were doing. So now contrast. Now consider the stark contrast. Look at now Samuel. We're we're looking at the sons. Now look at Samuel. Now, okay, verse four. And the Lord called Samuel. And what did he say? Here am I. What a contrast. Samuel had ears to hear. He wanted to hear from the Lord, where his um, his predecessors did, didn't. Okay. Now let's look at verse five to eight. We're in First Samuel chapter three. We're looking at verse five to eight. It says here, and, the, and he ran. Okay, so the Lord said, Samuel, Samuel, okay? And he, he said, here am I, verse 5. And he ran unto Eli and said, here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I call thee not. Law, lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here am I, 
for thou didst call me. And he said, I called not, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had, had called the child. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 3, looking at verse 5 through 8. Now, Samuel now... Okay. Question first before I make a statement. When the Lord called Samuel, Samuel didn't recognize the Lord's voice. Why? He didn't know the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Why? Okay, the word of God is precious. The prophecies were going on. Why else? He didn't have a relationship. Why not? Eli didn't teach it. Eli was neglecting some really core things here. Eli was just going through the motions. Now you have Samuel. Samuel was not of that cut. He, he, he's like, I don't fit into this system here, Lee. Like, do you know what I'm saying? He, he, he was a different type of fella. Okay, praise God. Uh, Samuel now needed to cultivate his own relationship with God. And he needed to cultivate this habit of listening to the voice of the Lord. And from what you know the Bible, did he? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, now. Uh, we've already said this. I asked the question... Why do you think Samuel didn't know the Lord and you've already answered because he wasn't told? Romans 10, verse 14 and 15. Who did I give that to? Okay. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, written how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings the whole system was broken you've got to have the preachers being called you've got to have the preachers being sent you've got to be, have the preachers being instructed so they can go out and, and give the message and Eli completely locked the, uh, dropped the ball that's how churches can become so corrupt and lose the whole what happens is when, when, when the church starts preach, stops preaching the gospel and stops focusing on the gospel then the people who are interested in the gospel just leave and then it dies inside and then the, 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 the rot perpetuates. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and then there's no gospel that continues on. And that was exactly what was going on in Eli's family. It was never going to be any good. Okay? So God had to completely remove that. And the Bible says in the book of Revelation to, to one of the churches, he said, You're, you've lost your first what? You've left your first love is the church of philadelphia i think it was or one of them i can't remember which one it was he said repent or i will remove your candlestick do you remember that the light will go out see the picture from the old testament was the light was to continually go on the church should be a continual light to the community it should continue to let people know if you come down here you're going to hear the gospel you come down here you're going to hear the word of god you come down here you're going to be fed and if that doesn't happen god says okay you're no good to me and the light goes out does that make sense the way we keep the light going is keep the gospel being preached and keep the word of God being taught. Does that make sense? So important. Eli had dropped the ball. Are you with me here? Okay. Um, so Samuel had a great task of starting all over again. Here's a broken system, Samuel. <laughs> you understand? Now you have to start all over again. And he was on for it. Okay? He was on for it. And, uh, and he was the complete opposite 
This is the amazing thing, brethren. Samuel was the complete opposite of what he saw in front of him. You should never judge an individual by the family comes from. The person can be the exact, complete opposite. Isn't that true? We're all individuals, right? And sometimes we look at people and say, you know, that's an example to follow. Or we say, that's an example not to follow. And so people will look at what, what they've been brought up and they say, you know what? I want to be, and I've often heard people say this, I never want to grow up and be like my mother. Or I never want to grow up and be like my father. And what happens when they get older, invariably? <laughs> they are just like their mother or like their father, with the same faults and failures and all that type of stuff, because it's in us, right? We, we, but if you don't want, if, if you're looking at negative traits of parenting, you say, I don't want to be like that. You've got to make some clear choices to go completely the opposite direction, where there's no way you're going to turn back or you're going to repeat the same errors. Are you with me here? There's no way you can be ambivalent. There's no way you can just mosey on through life and see what happens. Because you mosey on in true life, you're going to do exactly because it's, it's how you are wired. We're wired according to our, our background. Isn't that right? So if we don't purposely choose and go out of our way to choose to be completely different, we won't be. Thank God Samuel chose to be completely different. I love, I love, you know what I, I love? Do you know what thrills me? When I hear about preachers or missionaries or pastors' wives and they come from these really rough backgrounds and their family's a mess and you know then they go into the ministry and they make a completely different road for them and their families and, 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 and they have completely changed 180 from what they learned growing up. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are those, we all love those wonderful stories. And some people who are used the most of God are people who've had to make very hard decisions and turn away from stuff that they grew up with that they shouldn't have grown up with. Are you with me here? But they make great stories. Now, Samuel had a good mother. He had an okay father, <laughs> okay? Eli was not an example. But Samuel became a great man of God. He had to make some serious choices in his mind, didn't he? He had to make a decision. I'm not going to follow what I've learned. I'm not going to go through life with osmosis, taking up everything I can gather. I'm going to go to the Word of God. I'm going to listen to the, to the Spirit of God. I'm going to have a relationship with God. I'm going to go a completely different direction. That was Samuel. And folks, I want to tell you something. That set the tone for Israel to have blessing for about 100 years. Not tremendous. Because of Samuel. Okay. This verse 8 and verse 9. Read that. Let me read that. <clears throat> and the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he rose and went to Eli and said, Here am I. For thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. That, that's interesting. He was so far from God, but yet he perceived this. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Isn't it interesting that even though Eli didn't listen to the voice of God himself, he was able to instruct Samuel how to listen to the voice of God. Isn't that interesting? Okay, Matthew 23, verse 1 to 4. Who wants to raise, raise your hand for those verses? Matthew 23, Ellen, if you get Matthew 23, verse 1 to 4. Um, 2 Samuel 12, verse 9 to 13. 2 Samuel 12, Jolomy. 2 Samuel 12, verse 9 to 13. And we'll all turn to Psalm 51, because I think there's some great verses in there. Okay. 
So, Eli was able to instruct Samuel how to listen to the Lord, even though Eli didn't listen himself. It sounds like what Jesus had to do with and deal with in his day. Matthew 23, verse 1 to 4, please. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not lift them upon their fingers. So what's interesting is that the words of the Pharisees were to right to follow, but the example of the Pharisees was not right to follow. They preached the word of God, they taught the word of God, but they certainly didn't live it. And that was Eli. He knew the right thing. So you could probably sit under some teaching from the Pharisees and say, oh that was good, oh that's good, oh that's good. But then you look at, well how does it work in real life? It doesn't. So what that does is, it makes people think, oh yeah, this is just theory, this is like the leaving search, this is like college exams, you do it, you pass the test, and then you forget all about it. That is not Christianity. Christianity, I, I know I'm hard in the leaving search, but I did it twice, so I get it, okay? <laughs> but, but the point is, you know, the, the, um, the whole point of, the, of, of Christianity is, it's a life, brethren. It's a life. And Eli, okay, he wasn't a Christian. Christianity wasn't back then. But he wasn't God-fearing. He wasn't godly. Because he didn't get it. He didn't get it. And, and it's a whole life. And if, if all we do, brethren, is go through the motions, Christianity will never make sense. It, it didn't make sense to Eli. He didn't live it, you know. And that's why Samuel had to, had to come in. Praise God for Samuel. Eli knew what to do, he just didn't do it. He never developed the art of listening to God. And we're going to look at this a little bit later, okay? But Samuel did. And, he, he, and again, because Samuel, listen to this brethren, because Samuel learned to listen to God, he changed the nation of Israel forever. Did you know that you could be a conduit for change? You can be a catalyst for change. You can make a difference in your generation if you determine you're going to listen to the Word of God and do what He says. You can make a difference. That's a tremendous thing to know, isn't it? Yeah. And Samuel made a difference. Thank God. Every one of us are glad for people like Samuel. We all are, okay? Let's choose to be a Samuel. How about that? Because Samuel made a difference. Okay, now let's look at verse 11 14. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will... The Lord has called Samuel. We have no idea how old Samuel was. He was young. I'm going to throw a figure out there. I think he was about 12. Let's say 12, okay? Because he had to be mature enough to listen to some tough stuff, okay? So John, that means you're mature, okay? You're at that stage. 12 is a good age. 12 is you're coming out of youth, young, and you're heading into that mature teenage life. There's no such thing as rebellion in our home. And rebels get killed. No, I'm just joking. I'm only joking. No, no, we don't believe in teenage rebellion. It's just a total waste of time for everybody. But the point is this, um, that it's a great age. It's a great age because you're entering into manhood and taking leadership, okay? I love our young people. Our young guys are some great lads. Right, Emmanuel? picking on Emmanuel again. But anyway, I just really appreciate our young men in Gospel Baptist Church, and, and of course Dexter over there, I can't forget him, and, and Prince. But you know, we've got, we got some great young men in our church, and these, I trust these young men are going to be men of God. Amen. Okay? But it starts when they're young. Samuel was young. Now, 
Look at verse 11 here. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. And look at those verses. Do you, do you see what it's saying? I've already said it, God is saying. I've already said this to Eli. Okay? And that's why I asked the question, did Eli knew. And it, it, it was a yes and a no answer. It was because it, he knew, but he didn't know because he choose, chose not to know. Does that make sense? Okay? So both answers were correct, which is a bit strange, but it really is. Okay? Anyway, verse 12. In that day will I perform again to Eli all things which I have spoken concerning this house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he had known, because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. That was the issue God had with him. You didn't stop them. You could have stopped them. You can't control them. You can't make choices for your children when they're adults. But you could stop them doing it in the house of God. Eli didn't. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. Brethren, Eli crossed the line and there was no way back. Eli was like a, Eli's house was like a Judas Iscariot. When Judas betrayed the Lord, there was no way back. The Bible says after he betrayed the Lord, he repented. But it was not the conversion. It was not the salvation. Eli crossed the line. And Judas Iscariot crossed the line when he, when, he, when he betrayed our Lord. There was no way back. Now, verse 11 tells us it would make the ears tingle. It would be a shock. What was going to happen to Eli would be a shock to the nation of Israel. <coughs> God was against Eli and his house. And judgment day was coming, okay? So Eli was going to have his own family Armageddon, if you like, okay? And that's probably a very good description. Just because God does not act quickly does not mean he's not working. How long had Eli to wait for God to deal with him? Does anybody know how old Eli was when, when God dealt with him? Does anybody remember? What was that? 98. He was nearly 100 years old. For years, he'd flown in the face of God. And for years, God didn't do anything. Okay? God allowed this to happen. God allowed Eli bring a terrible... How many godly people do you think were in Israel saying, God, please replace Eli, please replace Eli? What do you think? Do you think there were people out there praying that? If you were living in Israel back there and you had an Eli and his sons in the temple, would you be praying God replace them? I would. But God waited and waited and waited. Why do you think God waited so long? Okay, there's different reasons. What was that? Hope? He was giving up. Yes. Doesn't the Bible say in Revelation that God said to Jezebel, like, gave her space to repent? Remember? Okay, good. Why else? Why did God give Eli so much time? Will he? You scratch your head. Huh? You scratch your head. God is merciful. Aren't you glad God is merciful? But mercy only lasts so long. We all want grace. But what does the Bible say about accessing grace? God gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. That's, that's the easy answer for us. Let's humble yourself, okay? It's a good answer for us, okay? Eli didn't humble himself, obviously, right? Why else did God wait till he was 98 to bring judgment? Anybody else? It's a very practical answer. Anybody else? Because he needs Samuel. Yeah. yeah. He's waiting for Samuel. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because God didn't just want anyone else in there. He didn't want another Eli. When Saul was the king of Israel and he was running amok, God didn't want to replace him with another Saul. He was waiting for David. And God had to bring David to the ringer to make him ready to, to replace Saul. Are you with me here? So God had to prepare Samuel to make him ready to replace Eli. And so brethren, hang in there when you're waiting and waiting and waiting. How often do you and I agonize for unsaved relatives? God, please. Just because it waits, it takes a long time doesn't mean God's not working. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you want to say something there? God's timing. Always. Always. That's the voice of experience, right? <laughs> You've seen that on many times, no doubt. God's timing is perfect. So we need to wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. There's many things I'm waiting for. I don't want to just tell you the things, but there's things I'm waiting for and I'm aching with God for. Even this morning, I'm agonizing with God. God, you got to do something here. i got to believe he's working. Yeah. And you're doing the same thing in the privacy of your own home or the privacy of your own prayer life. You're agonizing with God, but just because it doesn't happen right away doesn't mean God's not working. That's encouraging to know, right? Okay. Part of it was waiting for Samuel to be able to take up responsibility. Eli knew judgment was coming upon him, and he did. No, that's the thing that kills me as a human being. Verse 13, the Bible says, For I have told him, I will judge his house. He knew Eli's family was a ticking time bomb. Do you think Eli... Oh, sorry. Question. Why do you think Eli did nothing, even though God told him of impending judgment? Why do you think he did nothing? Could he be discouraged? Let's be real. He could have gotten discouraged about it. Some people, when they get discouraged, they faint. Spurgeon called them fainting fits. He would have them every Monday after Sunday, a good Sunday preaching. He'd, he'd get discouraged, he'd faint. You know, it's real, isn't it? Discouragement is very real. Could have been discouraged. <clears throat> Realistically, that's true. Somebody else, yes. I definitely think so. He went through the motions for sure. He just went through the motions. Somebody else, why do you think Eli did nothing when God warned him several times? John? He didn't believe God. That might be a thing. Do you think he believed God? That's an interesting one. Do you think he believed God? Yeah. yeah, which really is lack of faith, not believing, isn't it? It really does boil down to not believing God. Yeah. Somebody else. Why do you think Eli I think did he nothing? He said the righteousness that is that is perfect before God. So God, did you say self righteousness? Yes. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. So, so he was self-righteous. But God, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you. I weep over this, God. I may not have. I've seen people like this, brethren. And they're great soul winners. And their family is a wreck. 
And, and they weep over the things of God and they're tender towards the things of God and their families are a wreck and they excuse their family because they're focused on the ministry. You with me here? Is that okay? No. Brethren, it could have been discouragement. It could have been in depression. But brethren, here's the point. This is what God is saying. No excuse. When we get discouraged, God gives us space because he's gracious. He doesn't jump on us. Aren't you glad about that? But we can't allow discouragement or anything else to be a reason for doing nothing when God tells us to do something because there's always consequences. And brethren, here's the thing. Eli didn't believe those consequences would ever come. He's 98. Asher, I'll be dead. He's probably telling his family all the time, Asher, you know what? Look, I'm an old man. I'll be dead in a few years. Man, the, the man went on forever. 98 years of age. Every birthday, you're 70 today. Oh, well, just come to my birthday because you may not have another one with me, you know? 28 birthdays later, he was still alive. He honestly pushed it. Brethren, he pushed it. There's a saying here. Um, I'm, I'm uh, on the management uh, company. I'm a director for the management company for this whole yard, both sides, okay? And there's a few of us as directors. And, and some things were not getting done. And One thing that bothers me when things aren't getting done, I want to get things done. And there's a few of us on the thing are really wanting to get things done. So things are starting to happen around here. It's a bit slower we want. We're trying to get things done. But one of the lads who also wants to get things done said this. And the other lads are discouraged because nothing ever happens around here. Well, it will now, okay? Because <clears throat> no more messing around. Just get it done. Otherwise, the whole thing will fall apart. <clears throat> and realistically, it was about to fall apart. One of the lads would say, it's a rugby term. He said, they keep kicking the ball into touch. I think that's what Eli was doing. He kept kicking the ball into touch. You know what, in rugby, what you do, you have the ball, you get possession, you kick it into touch, and then it's their turn, okay? It's like, it's like returning the serve. You're, you're kicking into touch, and then it's their line out. But the point is this. Um, he kept kicking the ball into touch. Asher, it'll buy me a little bit more time. It'll buy me a little bit more time. He kept kicking the ball into touch. Eli just kept on with his daily tasks, business as usual knowing that God was going to judge his home. I can't get my head around that, brethren, but that was Eli. He didn't repent like David. Uh, consider the response of David. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 9 to 13. Who did I give that to? 2 Samuel 12. Is that, was that Johnny or who did I give that to? Go ahead, Johnny. 2 Samuel 12, verse 9 to 13. Listen to this. Uriah. Uriah.
up there. David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He said, he, that was an acknowledgement. Look at Psalm 51. I'm going to quickly read it because we're running out of time. Let's go to Psalm 51. <laughs> David's response, I have sinned against the Lord. Look at Psalm 51. David in response, this, look at the title of Psalm 51. This is inspired to the chief musician. As, because it's a psalm, it's a song, it's a hymn, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he got into Bathsheba. So we just read that instance right there. Jolomi read that. Thank you for reading that, Jolomi. But look at David what it says. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. You see, verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Consider David's response. What response do you see in David, brethren? What was that? Repentance. Exactly, repentance. Let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 3, and we're going to look at Eli's response. We saw that he didn't restrain his children, verse 14. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli, verse 14, and the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged uh, forever. Okay? Now, David, okay, let me ask a question before I, I, I go with this, because I don't want to get ahead of myself. What was worse, David's sin with Bathsheba or Eli's son, sin with his sons? tough one, isn't it? I, at first I thought David sinned with Bathsheba, and I, I, I don't know. But you see, the thing is, God had mercy on David and didn't take away his kingdom. But he had, didn't have any mercy on Eli and he took away his priesthood. And which means his livelihood, because they would be begging for food. That was the prophecy okay, against Eli and his family. Why did God have such a strong response of Eli and comparatively light response on David. What was the difference? Yes. I think it's because um, David moved Yes. Where Eli didn't. Right. Right. Eli was proud about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And didn't humble himself before the Lord. Yeah. In, in, in this um, Psalm 51, yeah. uh, David probably throwing himself on the ground. Absolutely. Asking God yeah. for forgiveness. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the difference in it. Can you see that, folks? Yeah. This is so important. This is real life, right? Now, we may not do a Bathsheba job, but we mess up royally on our God. We sin against God, and we do things that bring consequences upon us and upon our family, right? It's called being human. We all part of the human race this morning? I just want to check. Yeah. yeah, okay. So we all do this. We all mess up. It's not what we do that destroys our families. It's how we respond. If we humble ourselves, God, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and, and, and God says, I'll lift you up, okay? We've got to learn to respond humbly and come clean and say, don't justify yourself like Eli did. We're going to look at his response now in a minute. I want to get ahead of myself. Verse 15, we're back in verse 15. Samuel lay until the morning. Do, do you think he slept that night? 
Okay. He lay until the morning, the Bible says, and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, my beloved son. Okay, I'm being a bit sarcastic. I shouldn't be. And he answered, here am I. And he said, what is the thing that the Lord hath said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God, look at this, what he says. This cracks me up. God do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto thee. And Samuel told him every whit, and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord, let him do what seemeth him good. Now look at these verses here. Eli knew the word from God to Samuel would be against him. Why? How come Eli knew it'd be something against him? He had a conscience. He had a conscience. Yeah, and because he was there, and God called Samuel. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, why didn't God speak to Eli? Why did God step sidestep Eli? Because he was tired of trying to speak to Eli and Eli just wasn't listening. Tired. Do you ever get tired of not being listened to? Do you ever find yourself in a position where you tell people the same thing again and again and again, or, or an individual or people, whatever the situation you're in, and they're just not listening? And what happens when you tell them again and again and again and again they don't listen? What do you do? That's what the Lord does, right? Because you can only tell something so many times. What happens if you keep trying to tell the same person the same, the same thing and they're not listening? What happens if you keep trying to tell them? They switch off. They harden. Right? And Eli had hardened himself, brethren. He hardened himself. Now, the word from God was so alarming that Samuel couldn't sleep. What do you think of Eli's response? Verse 18. What do you think of Eli's response? God says, I don't care. I don't care. Apathy. It's not, I don't care. Apathy means I don't care, right? Mm -hmm. Apathy. Unbelievable. Good be the word of the Lord. The Lord will do what it seems good. Oh, you sound so religious, Eli. His whole family was destroyed. Brethren, I want to tell you something. Eli could do nothing about two wicked sons, but he could have stopped them. And he could have said, do you know what? You're going to be wicked, be wicked on your own, out of the priesthood. And he could have brought honor back to his home again. You with me here? But he cursed all his lineage because he wouldn't do a thing about it because he was the high priest. He was the one responsible. Eli's answer was religious. It was trite. It was hard-hearted. He was more interested in the information than in doing something about it. Like, he wasn't going to do a thing about it, so why ask? You know what I'm saying? That'd be my point. He was an elderly, calloused man. Those who firmly know of God's displeasure and do nothing about it are doubly accountable. Let me say that again. Those who know uh, God's displeasure and do nothing about it are doubly accountable. Are you with me here? Doubly accountable. Look at verse 19 to 21, wrap this up. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with them and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, that's like saying from north down to south, from Dan to Beersheba, north to south, all Israel knew uh, that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. Brethren, this was going to be a breath 
of fresh air. We are going to live in different days. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, and the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So in complete contrast to Eli, Samuel was a breath of fresh air. With Eli, there was no open vision. With Samuel, there was no prophecy that wasn't fulfilled. Do you see the contrast? Complete opposite. Samuel was the complete opposite of Eli, and all Israel knew it. There was no question that God had transferred his authority from Eli to Samuel. What God ended with Eli, he began with Samuel. Though the lamp had gone out in the temple, hope had risen again in Israel. Thank God for Samuel. So brethren, when it gets dark and dark and dark in the country, God is well able to raise up light. And brethren, ye are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that men may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for